Hey, what's up, everybody? Bradley Allen here coming to you from MSU Impact Sports. I got episode five of Secret Society. Uh, talk with a good friend of mine, Scott Dane, who is the head coach for the men's club soccer team. And a really great conversation about what he does in the world of soccer and his national championship winning men's team. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And special thanks to everybody at Impact Sports for helping out with the show. Again, Brooks Beer. Jonathan Yale's coming through in the clutch on the engineering, and Alex Sharg, our director and executive producer, for helping me engineer this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Secret Society. All right, welcome to Secret Society. I'm Bradley Allen, and this is episode five. I can't believe it, already five episodes, and I'm really happy to be here for Impact 89 FM, MSU Impact Sports. And, uh, yeah, we got a friend of the show on today. And when I say friend of the show, I don't mean he's been on the show before, but he's a friend of me, so I consider him a friend of the show. Really long resume here. So Secret Society, MSU Club Sports, we have the men's club soccer coach here. Tell us a little more what you do. (laughs) Well, I, I think I ingrained myself in the soccer community pretty well. I'm a High school coach at Grand Ledge. I coach both the boys and the girls varsity teams, uh, and of course the MSU men's club team. And I uh, coach a youth um, club team as well. And I, my day job, if you will, is I run the Capillary Soccer League in Lansing, which is a nonprofit youth soccer league that services about 2,700 youth soccer players. Yep, and you kind of bounced around a little bit. You're you're from the Mid Michigan area. Yeah, like I said, Castle or Capillary Soccer League, you're the director. That's where your home base is. Actually, when I met you about 10 years ago, you were in Soccer Zone. Yeah, we started with our office in Soccer Zone, which was a nice collaboration. Uh, really kind of helped Castle grow at that time when we needed to not only have some office space, but some free office space, and Soccer Zone was willing to do that. As we've grown and kind of gotten our feet underneath of us um we've moved out since and we have our own office in east lansing now but um yeah i used to uh do indoor soccer sports management uh facility management i think is what they call it uh at soccer zone i think you even jumped behind the concession stands every now and then too yeah you I, concessions referee you know you, uh facility management i think you have to know how to do all the aspects of it and i i think i knew them all so Tell me about yourself growing up, your experience with soccer. You know, this is a very unique episode because I know you very well. Uh, You know me quite well. This is, you know, purely for listeners. I could probably sit here and tell you guys everything I know about Scott, but I'll I'll let you do the talking. I don't want to talk too much. Tell me about high school. You went to MSU. Sort of just your upbringing a little bit. I've always been a huge sports fan, and I grew up in Lansing, so of course, naturally, I was a Michigan State Spartans fan of all sports. Uh, I've very vivid memories of going to Michigan State football games on very, very cold days and uh, sitting in Spartan Stadium, uh, even with the old turf. Remember, Spartan Stadium used to have that really old uh, AstroTurf in it. And I I enjoyed all sports. I liked playing a lot of sports. But I think when I got into high school and I went to Holt High School, um, the appeal of soccer was the worldwide um, exposure that soccer has and how many people in the world play soccer and how um, when you look at a club team like Barcelona or Manchester United, they have players from all over the world on the same team. And there was something very appealing 
about that to me. And so that's when I really started to fall in love with soccer. Um, in the late 90s, I fell in love with Manchester United. Really, they were kind of the only team you could watch on TV then, but um, they had uh, English guys and French guys and um, South American guys, and it was just the appeal of all of them playing on one team to win championships. And so that's how I kind of really started to love soccer. I played. Uh, I wouldn't say I was a very good player, but I enjoyed to play. I enjoyed playing the game. Uh, but I knew, I think, pretty early that if I wanted to continue in the game, it wasn't going to be as a player. Maybe as a uh, at that time, I, I certainly thought I could be a coach. And, and you were. And speaking of uh, championships, you watching Manchester United. Um, let's flash back. I'll give you. I'll give you guys a little bit of a peek into my life as it ties into to Scott Dane's life. I entered high school as a freshman, and the night before fall sports started. I sort of flipped a coin whether I was going to go play football or soccer, and I decided I'm just going to play soccer. Uh, I don't want to waste my time having to lift weights or buy pads. And we show up to the practice, and it's conditioning, and, and you were the new, newly hired JV coach. We, they brought in a whole new coaching staff, and uh, that's one of the first things you said after making us run about 25 miles. You were like, this isn't about having fun. This is about winning state championships, and I was instantly – you know, I grew up loving sports, but I never realized that, like, oh, things get competitive the more you progress in athletics. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think I was a maybe a little young and dumb back then too, and overzealous. And it was, uh, I was an assistant coach in at Holt High School before I came over to Lansing Catholic. So you know, I was the I was the head JV coach. I had to posture myself a little bit, and uh, I think that your poor class came in and. I had to intimidate you as much as I could, I think, on day one. Yeah, there was an article in, in the State Journal that day, the next day about you guys coming in, new coaches, and like six players uh, from Lansing Catholic were puking on the sidelines because we were running so much. But, I mean, to you guys' credit, you built that program, and uh, you ended up taking a, uh, the head coaching job for Grand Ledge. But a couple of years later, um, I had uh, obviously graduated already, but Lansing Catholic was in the state championship game. Yeah, we took, um, you know, even I think Jack uh, Zimmer at the time was done coaching then too, but we took a lot of pride in knowing that a lot of those players had played for us, and um, we felt uh, a great sense of honor when they appeared in the state championship game, and I went to the game, and I was proud of the way they handled themselves, the boys did, and we felt, this, you know, that we had we played a part in that. Yeah, definitely awesome. I remember going to some of the, uh, I think I went to the semifinal game, and a little salty thinking, you know, a couple years later, like when I was a, actually a junior, you know, I wasn't really a standout player, but I was on the team. When I was a junior, that was our year because we had all those seniors on the team. Like this is our year, we're gonna we're going to states, and uh, didn't didn't pan out that way. But some of the players that you coached did go there. So you move on, become head coach for varsity Grand Ledge men, and then you assume the women's coaching job as well. Yeah, the original plan was not that uh, maybe I wasn't going to be the women's coach at Grand Ledge, but um, after I was playing a role in the interview process for some candidates for the girls' job, and um, it just didn't work out, and um, the athletic director asked if I would just stay on and be the, the women's coach as well, and I think he was comfortable in knowing that. Uh, there's a little bit of comfort in having the coach for the boys and the girls as well because you know what they they know the policies of the school. You don't have to go over new things with them, and um, so that was actually my first 
formal job in terms of coaching females. So it was a, a it was a challenge. I was a little ner- I'll be honest. I was very nervous. Yeah, a little different animal there. Definitely. And after JV to varsity, you still coach the club. For those of you that aren't familiar, high school soccer in Michigan is not top competition for the, for that age of a player. It's the club circuit, correct? Yeah, similar to AAU basketball, soccer has um, club in the off season and the non-high school season, and it actually extends into the high school season a little bit now in, so, in the elite levels. But um, club is where kids, uh, young aspiring players, really try to show their craft for potential college scholarships or even professional contracts. So you have coached, uh, I know CA United, you've been coaching them in the past. What's your What's your club team right now what age and and what what team i coach a u16 boys michigan rush uh capital area team and it's really a kind of a, a very much a developmental team uh the players are very interested in making their varsity teams next fall uh and uh, i'm co-coaching it with matt borsma who um, is the boys varsity coach at eaton rapids and we view the game much in the same way we're just trying to get these players uh, level of skill and ability to to be better and we hope that through the course of this winter and the spring season that we make them better players so that they really have a very good chance of not only making their varsity teams in the fall but being contributing members. So clearly you are you have your plate full as far as coaching goes. And now we get into your I don't know, I don't want to say your this is your main gig because I know high school soccer's serious and you got two teams there. You got your club team. You're invested in a lot of youth soccer, but this is Michigan State uh sports outlet. You're the men's club soccer coach for MSU. You guys won a national championship last year. A lot of people don't know that, you know, if you've listened to the show before, you know we have the club sports that are more of a community, more of a social thing. Anybody can play, you know, a chance for everybody to continue playing the sport that they love and have fun that might not have the chance to play at a varsity level. But soccer, you guys have tremendous athletes on your team. You compete with the best in the, in the nation as far as other club teams, your national championships. Tell me about how you got involved at Michigan State. I was working at Soccer Zone. I think I'm still in Soccer Zone. I think my office was there. And uh, um, John Naud, who um, had was a Mason High School grad, was playing on the MSU club team at the time. And he approached me and said that they were looking to make a change or exploring the possibility of making a change at coaching. And he wanted to know if I would meet with some of the players. So I agreed to meet with some of the players that summer. And we sat down and we hit it off a little bit and they offered me the job and it was oh it's always been and I, and I think this is a really good arrangement for club sports in that it's a year-to-year gig and so if the players because it is a student-run organization if the players are unhappy they can uh, um, just not bring me back for the next year or if I'm not happy I can just walk away with it and there's no hard feelings it's just a the way it is, you know, it's a year to year. And I think that's really good. We have that flexibility. We always feel that there's the freedom that if the relationship's not working, we can walk away without any hard feelings. And so I agreed to do it for a year. I said, let's give it a try. And um, that year, uh, I was a senior heavy team. Um, we did not, we, we went to, there's two competitions at the Nationals. There's the Open Division, which is kind of a for it's kind of like a b-level competition and then there's the championship division we made the open division that year and we lost in the semifinals and penalty kicks but it was just it gave me a little taste of how good i thought we could be being michigan state university with as many very good athletes and potential players on campus as we had i thought man this is this could turn into something really good 
so obviously you come back for another year and what was that like the transition of your first year having a lot of seniors this is your first time doing it at what point did you start to get the feel of it like thinking you know I can do this I like this this is a great group of guys I got and and to be competitive in the way that uh, you have built yourself up to be now I think that in that second year, I started to get a grasp of what it would take athletically for us to really compete in the championship division of the national competition. And we had to start to recruit, not recruit, but we had to start to identify players that were not only good soccer players, but were really good athletes too. Um, And so there we started to really select, be very specific in how we selected players and, um, we started to build a roster that we thought could compete um, in a national level, and it took year, it took years to get us really to a full level of where we thought we could be. But you know, obviously in 2012, it paid off. We have a, a pretty good varsity team too. We've always had a varsity program that has competed, you know, in the Big Ten, in the NCAA Division One. So, what's your experience with players that maybe wanted to play varsity who end up playing club or vice versa? Does the Michigan State varsity soccer team look at you guys and think, we we should probably get some of these players to try to walk on because, you know, they're good and they could help us? Uh, we have, I have a great relationship with Damon uh, Rensing in the, in the men's soccer program. And at the end of each season, we talk. And we we kind of we, we exchange some emails or we, uh, we'll meet up and talk and talk about who are the best players on the club team that could potentially have an impact with the varsity team. And we, uh, every winter we've had, uh, two winters ago, we had six players going to training with the varsity team in the winter and to see if they could for at least a few weeks compete at that level. And, um, over the course of the six years I've been involved, we've actually had three players go to the varsity team. Um, and so it's a good relationship. They really support us big time. Uh, and they communicate with some players who are coming into Michigan state uh, during the summer who they don't have a roster spot for, but they really encourage them to come and play with us uh, with the idea that potentially they could make the varsity team in the winter or in future years. And so we have a great relationship with Damon and, you know, we're really happy when they win and, you know, they were elite eight this year and really, you know, a goal away from maybe appearing in the college cup. And um, we stay really well connected and we're still, you know, we have a few boys that are going to go, um, this winter still and train with them and have a great chance at making their team for next year. You know, an elite eight team uh, is looking at the club team on campus as a potential pool of players. Yeah, that that is awesome. Looking back to this fall, knowing that you guys were defending national champions and the varsity team making that run in the tournament, thinking of how good soccer players are going to Michigan State. And I, I wanted to know, actually, uh, somebody asked me, Brooks Lambeer, who's a soccer reporter here at Impact Sports, wanted to know, and I want to know, are you guys ever going to play each other? Have you ever played each other? You know, uh, the baseball team plays the Lugnuts in the Crosstown Showdown. Will we ever see a Michigan State men's club soccer versus men's varsity soccer? Yeah, I don't. I, I doubt it. Um, I, our guys, I think, would love that opportunity to go out and prove that they're just as good as the varsity team. I don't know what the varsity team would gain from doing it. Um, if they lost to us, you know, it'd, be, it'd look really bad. And it'd be, you know, I think a lot of questions would be raised about not necessarily the talent level, but the mentality of the team and things of that nature. And if they go out and beat us seven or eight to nothing, they look like bullies. And so I don't think there's a lot for them to gain from it. Um, they're also very limited in the number of 
competitions they can have in the off season, and I, I think that they 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 get great opportunities to play teams. Uh, you know, last spring the varsity team played the Columbus Crew reserves. You know, so they're they're attracting a lot of really high level um, teams for competition. And I, I, we they only get five in the spring. They get five competition dates, and it just probably wouldn't make sense for them one of them to be used on us. It would be fun to think about, um, you know, thinking about those what-if matchups. I've, you know, they have all those websites online where you can go and be like, what if the yeah, 1979 Michigan State basketball team played, uh, you know, the 2000 championship team? Who would have won? And like, have you ever been to one of those that pulls up a box score and everything? Yeah, it's crazy. It's always fun to think about those types of things, you know. And I think um, you think about matchups, too, and you think about a one-game scenario. You know, I mean, it's really it's kind of a uh, – could we beat them in a one-game scenario? Sure. Uh, would the varsity team beat us multiple times in a series? Probably. But, you know, it's always fun to think about. Yeah, and, and soccer is such a, uh, you know, when you look at a, a game like football or basketball, it's a game of runs. It's a game of momentum. Soccer the same way, but anything can happen. One one bad bounce can uh, can make a game. A lot of games that you'll watch, and it's it's one of the reasons – People in America will say that soccer is not fun to watch. It's oftentimes zero to zero. Who's going to score the one goal? Who's going to make the one mistake? Or who's going to make the one play? Um, and that's what's really fun about not only playing, coaching, being a part of it. Um, you know, a lot of adrenaline happens. Tell me about that uh, experience that you get standing on the sidelines, especially when you're making a national championship run. Yeah, I think you get soccer is great because even though there's 11 players on the field. Um, you get this crazy position of goalkeeper, right? And he gets to stand between the goal and he gets different rules that he adheres by. And within his penalty box, he gets to use his hands, which is a major advantage, obviously, in a sport where no one else gets to use their hands. And um, you can win games on the back of a goalkeeper. Like you said, you could have a 0-0 game. You could have a world power playing uh, a minnow of the soccer world and the, the minnow goalkeeper decides he's going to have a, the game of his career and even though one team carries possession and has all the shots and everything else a goalkeeper could keep you in the game so we get into situations sometimes we like to play a really good brand of soccer where we want to knock the ball around we possess the ball we try to um, create goals and not just run past people or see if we can muscle them and there's times when that first goal takes a while to get on the score sheet and if you get late in the games you get a little tight and anxious and um, standing on the sideline you just want the game plan to keep working uh, you want the boys to keep playing the way they're playing but man if that first goal doesn't come you just get really nervous that you could end up in a zero zero game your team, obviously, national champions 2012. Talk about that season and the, the season uh, preceding it, this most recent one. Talking about getting that first goal, that's important for you guys because usually for you it only takes one goal. You practically shut out every team you play. Yeah, in 2012, we gave up five goals over the course of the season, uh, 20-some games. To only give up five goals is, is, is insane. Uh, and in 2013, we, we thought, you know, let's see if we can't um, try to be as good defensively, but you can't be it that good. And actually, in 2013, we only gave up four goals. So um, we believe that if we score once, we're going to win the game. And so getting that first goal, especially if it's early in a match, we feel like it's, we can just roll, you know, and we'll put up two, three, four. But we also have the confidence that in a very close game, in a 1-0 game, that we're going to be able to pull out that win. Um, we have 
we for the past three years, for the past four years, we've had the same starting goalkeeper. And over the course of his four years, I think he gave up something like eight goals in the run of play, which is an insane number. Um, he graduated this December, so um, he, you know what a career to have. Where he won the national title in 2012, and in 2013 we go two and zero at nationals before the competition is rained out. But you know he hadn't given up a goal there yet either. I mean, it's just. Uh, to have that kind of security, that sense of security behind your 10 field players just gives you a lot of confidence. Was your goaltender one of the people being looked at by the varsity team ever? When you think about it, somebody who can be in the net playing against a good level of competition, playing that many games and not letting any goals, is that a credit to your defense as well as your goalie? you got to think that if, if you're playing and you're not letting up any goals, maybe he can go to the next level. Yeah, I think he would even say his uh, Ryan Lovell is his name. He's from he graduated from Forest Hills Central. I think he would even say that he, um, in a technical sense of the word, is not a very good goalkeeper. He's not a technique guy, but he competed and he was super athletic and um, he found a way to just keep the ball out of the net. And I think if you asked him to teach technique, he he would struggle. And he he I think he'd freely admit that too. But when it came to game time, right? Let's just keep the ball out of the net. Uh, he was as good as any. Um, I don't think he had a real interest in going to the varsity team. We would always ask our players, you know, if they actually, if they had ambitions to go to the varsity team, they would communicate that with me and I would communicate it through. And he never had that ambition, I don't think. He loved being on the club team. He loved being a part of it. Uh, he loved the commitment level of the club team, which is much less than the varsity team. And uh, I think he just thrived in that environment. So, And it is a product of our defense. Um, we've always had great center backs. Um, and then I'd say... We have this philosophy that uh, defense starts up front, and if our forwards are defending and winning um, tackles or if we're able to keep the ball and possess, that that just helps us defensively. And we want to dictate the tempo of the game, which means we want the ball. So the more we have the ball, the, um, the, more, the less we have work we have to do defensively. So the national championship season that you won, we'll talk about this past year where you didn't quite get the chance to defend your title. But what was it like traveling to Memphis to play in the national tournament, 24 teams? Who did you play? What was the atmosphere like when you were really winning those games and getting down to those last couple, and then you finally won the national championship? Tell me about that. I'll go back to the national championship in 2011, which was in Phoenix, and we lost in the round of 16 to Cal Poly. Um, and we felt... Um, we felt a little robbed in that game, perhaps. We, we had some calls go against us by the referee, and um, we really felt like maybe we we probably could have done more ourselves as well, but we felt a little robbed. And so I think there's this great sense of um, pride in that we didn't feel we were beat as much as um, – or we weren't beat by a better team. And so there's this chip on our shoulder. And so we go into the off season in the winter of 2012. And then in the summer of 2012, I think there's this great commitment level from the players that they knew that they should have gone further in the tournament. And they felt like they were in a position that they, if they'd have gone further, we would have won. We would have had a chance to win it in 2011. Um, so we, we go through our regular season in 2012, um, we did not win the regional competition. We lost in the regional semifinals um, in penalty kicks. So um, we we tied Illinois one to one, and they beat us in penalties, um, which was okay because we'd secured our bid to nationals already. We were already going to Memphis, um, so we felt good. We were undefeated. You know, I mean, that was our if you want to call it a loss, it was a loss. But we were undefeated on the season, and we get to Memphis. 
uh, I actually planned that we got there a day early. Um, I wanted us to kind of get our legs under us. We drove, um, so a 12-hour drive. I didn't want to have a 12-hour drive and then the next morning play. So we got there a day early so that we could have a free day to just kind of relax, uh, get ourselves acclimated to being in Memphis. And then we opened um, against the Colorado School for Mines. Um, and you might think, you know, who the heck are the Colorado School for Mines and how do they compete? But a lot of times in club soccer, um, you get teams, small schools that get a good class of players in and they compete and they get into nationals. Interesting. I heard that they actually beat the University of Phoenix in the in the round before. Yeah. Right? Is that what happened? So <laughs> something along Colorado there. School for the Mines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Colorado School for the Mines. And you know, I mean when you get the top you have to qualify for nationals. So the top twenty four teams you expect that maybe they can play, right? There's some level of skill. Uh, you, and we don't really scout. It's impossible to scout teams, you know, or whatever. But uh, and we beat them um, three to zero in the opening round of our of our um, 2012 campaign. Our second group game, so it's groups of three, and then two out of the three teams advance. Our second group game was uh, LSU, and we beat them four to zero. Uh, and there's this. I think it was at that point that I knew that we could be good, uh, that we had a chance because. I think it was two or three nothing in the first five minutes of that game uh, against LSU. We just came out and we pretty much secured uh, playing in the round of 16 already um, by beating Colorado School for Mines. Uh, and I knew that we were hungry because it was we just had to tie that game in advance and we came out and it was th- two or three nothing in the first five minutes. So after beating LSU four to zero uh, in the round of 16, we played Georgia. The next day, we played Georgia. Georgia was very good. Uh, we scored first, and then they tied it. Um, and it was the the only goal we gave up at Nationals, but it was one-to-one. And uh, even though I thought we played really well, we went to penalty kicks. And you know in penalty kicks, anything can happen. We went down to the fifth shooter, and we, um, we scored the fifth uh, kick and advanced. So it's kind of a, a nerve-wracking uh, we can't lose in the round of 16 two years in a row um, type of thing. But we advanced. And then we played Illinois in the next round. In the uh, quarterfinals, we played Illinois, who obviously had you know, beaten us in penalties at regionals. Um, and it was a good game, uh, 0-0 till late. And uh, we actually scored on an own goal. Um, we played a ball into the box. It got deflected, and it went in the goal. And so in, on that day, uh, day two of the competition, we'd won in penalties and an own goal. So yeah. a bit lucky maybe. Right. Just to, goes to show that you never know what's going to happen in the, in the game of soccer. It happened to be your day, and you guys were prepared to uh, capitalize on whatever bounces you got. And then you go into the championship game. We go uh, into the semifinals first. Okay. We play um, Washington University from St. Louis, um, and they were another um, Cinderella-type story. They'd done well. They'd pulled a few upsets to get there. Uh, and that was one of those games, like you said, you know, you get kind of nervous and anxious on the sideline. It was 0-0 at halftime, even though we were the dominant team. Uh, we ended up scoring early in the second half. We won the semifinals 3-0, to which set up the finals against Weber State. Uh, and Weber State was the 2011 uh, champs. So they were looking to defend their title um, in Memphis in 2012. So tell me about just the atmosphere I mean, winning in penalties enough in in a regular game is extremely nerve-wracking. You're in the tournament, you're playing, and um, you're down to that final game, and 
tell me about that and what's what's going through your head, your players' head when you finally get it done and you can say we're national champions. You know, I know just by following you on all your social media fronts um, how excited you were, and I almost couldn't believe it. I'm like, really? Michigan State has won the national championship in club soccer. I had known you were the the coach and that you guys were good, but I had no idea that um, you were competing at that level. So what was that like? It was a great game. Uh, it ended 0-0 in regulation. Um, both teams had some scoring chances, but we were, I mean, it was, it was uh, I think, a fitting national championship match. I think it was probably the two best teams were playing in that game. And um, we went to penalty kicks. And it was nerve-wracking. I mean, you have no idea, right? We'd already, and, and statistically, right, we'd already beat Georgia in penalties, so are we going to lose this one, you know, in penalties? And it was kind of – it was really tough. I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't watch the penalties. I couldn't do it. I was I, – I picked the lineup. I had the shooters and where they were supposed to go, and then I just – I couldn't do it. I, wow, I right. just couldn't watch. So we get, but you know, you know, you know the reactions, right? You can tell by the crowd. You can tell by the players. We actually there was a pretty good crowd there. It was under the lights uh, in Memphis on a kind of a cool uh, November night, and um, both teams lined up, and away we went. And we actually, uh, our goalkeeper Ryan Lovell, um, he he didn't save the first one, but he saved the second uh, and third, and then fourth penalty shooters for Weber State. So, I mean, we, it was pretty much in the bag by our fourth shooter. But you still don't – I mean, I couldn't watch. And our fourth shooter shot, and um, uh, the boys ran out onto the field, and you just knew then. And I, I turned and I, I went to shake the Weber State coach's hand because I thought that was the appropriate thing to do. But to be honest, I was ready to run out on the field and, and jump in the middle of the, the, the celebration. Man. Talk about uh, because your adrenaline is up so much when that's happening. It's it's very exciting. But on the other hand, you know, if we jump ahead to you guys getting a chance to possibly defend, the rain in Phoenix was too bad for them to even play on the fields. So they were shortening the games. They were even talking about just doing penalty kicks to decide the winner. And thinking about playing 90 minutes of soccer and then deciding it on penalties, in a way it can be unfair. If you win, you know, that's great, but to go out to lose that way is just uh, really heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, the game can just, it could be lopsided in terms of possession and momentum, but when you get to penalties, it's all even, you know, and, and it's a chance game, really. It's a roll of the dice in a lot of ways. Keeping in touch with you a little bit when you went to Phoenix this year, like we said before, you didn't get a chance to defend your championship. Nobody took the crown from you, obviously, because you, you didn't get the chance to play. What was that like for your players, some of your seniors that didn't get to experience playing for a championship due to something that was completely out of their control? It was heart-wrenching, you know. I mean, we talked all year about being the defending national champs. You were going to get everybody's best effort in every game because you had the target on your back now. There was no more sneaking up. There was no more underdog story. This was um, you are going to get everyone's best effort. And we, we, played a, we lost in the regional finals. Um, two to one, which is our first true loss in two years. And we head into nationals, but we are determined and I felt good about how we were playing. Uh, and we opened with Cal Poly, which is ironic. Uh, and we beat them three to one. And I, and as we're playing that game, the intensity level we played it with the, um, the skill that we showed the determination, I thought we're in a good spot right now. And we played Delaware that night, and we beat Delaware as well. And so we're, again, we're, you know, 2-0. and we seem, We're scoring goals. We're defending. Uh, and then the rains came. And 
what an empty feeling or a lack of closure. You know, I don't want to say losing would have been a better way to go out for the seniors, but at least they would have had closure to their career. And um, in this case, we just sat in our house that we were staying at and just listened to the rain and the unknown of what was going to happen or um, you know, the first day it rained, we thought, well, we're going to play shortened games. We were ready for that. Um, they'd announced that we were going to, for the round of 16, determine them by penalties, and we were ready for that. We kind of prepped ourselves the night before that in the morning we were going to do that, and then it just kept raining. And we, we didn't blame the organizers because um, we saw pictures of the fields. It, it rained and rained and rained, and we, we understood the decision. It didn't make it any better for us. You know, just because you understand it doesn't mean that you like it or that you are able to have any closure. And that's the thing I think I felt the worst about was that our seniors who had just won it the year before, who'd watched a group of seniors go through and win it in 2012 and end their careers on such a high, weren't given the opportunity to do the same in 2013. Um, and so that I think that's what I felt the worst about. One thing that's just a testament to you and your players, though, uh, is the way you handle it. Certainly heartbreaking, but I was keeping track of your guys's uh, your your uh, press releases, your posts, and your you know your Twitter account. And uh, you were joking around with the other club teams about having a slip and slide contest in in replacement of uh, a game so that you couldn't play. And you know you you weren't bitter or salty, or at least you didn't show it. You know you didn't complain about the uh, the the league or anything like that. It just it didn't turn out okay, and it was a bummer. What, you guys went to the Grand Canyon instead? I saw that. A few of us did, yeah. I think it's important to note that um, our team's a really close team. And ultimately, being able to um, make the trip to Nationals together was the probably the big prize, right? Um, playing the games would have been great. It was great. And winning or having the chance to win a national championship is incredible. But the fact that they could do it together and um, hang out and have this experience, if you're going to have an awful experience like having a tournament canceled because of weather, at least they did it together. And I think that that was important. And we talked a little bit about what's your attitude towards the whole thing. You know, you could just sit on social media and blast everybody, but it really wouldn't have solved anything. And it doesn't help you for the future. And so that was an important part of what we were doing. Now looking ahead, you experienced the unfortunate events of Phoenix in 2013. You still get a chance to repeat, technically. It's a little weird circumstances, but you're going to coach again, I'm assuming? You're, yes. You're uh, extending yep. for another year? Yes. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Scott Dane is going to uh, renew his contract. What, what's, what's it looking like for this spring and then upcoming next fall and obviously in the summer? What's your team looking like, and what are you guys thinking about now the road to Memphis again where you guys have a chance to go return to where you won the national championship in 2012 and do it again in 2014. You know, in college sports and even pro sports, right, there's always a transition in the offseason and you have to replace players or you have to have guys step up or you have to develop players or sign new players, get new players. And so we, we certainly lost some very key players, including our goalkeeper who graduated but I think we've done a good job of trying to look to the future every year and having some guys who are developing beyond behind guys, behind starters. We play a lot of guys constantly in an attempt to get them experience so that, uh, God forbid, an injury or anything like that. But we have players that are ready to step in and play bigger roles. We're really, really excited about the roster for 2014 because we think it's really talent-laden. And the senior class is going to be very good. 
Uh, we return our back line, our defensive back four, return our holding mid, return our starting striker, return some of the midfielders. Um, we need to replace a few guys, but we have guys who've been waiting who want the opportunity to step into the starting lineup and to be big-time contributors. Um, we're going to play some games this spring. We've been training this winter twice a week already, um, and then we're, we're actually heading to um, Washington, D.C. in April. Uh, we'll play D.C. United's um, U18 Academy team in a game, which is our big spring game that we're going to have, which is going to be really neat, great experience for our guys. Uh, we like to extend ourselves in the spring and play teams that really are um, – are going to provide a great challenge for us. Uh, win or loss doesn't matter as much as getting a lot of guys' experience and and having a good trip together. Um, we'll do. We normally do a weekend up north in the summer, where we just try to do a little bit of training and team bonding. And then right when school starts, we hold our tryouts, and we we'll be looking for five or six players at tryouts. And that's always a fun process because. There's always someone who shows up on campus that nobody knows about who comes to tryouts, who's a great player, and there's a great excitement about that every year. So you guys have tryouts scheduled yet for anybody who's thinking of getting involved, who who wants to uh, test themselves? Uh, when are you guys' tryouts? They're always the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of Welcome Week, and I, I don't know those dates offhand, but it'll be those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and it's an open tryout. There's a fee for it, but it is an open tryout, and we love having lots of players out because really the more players you have trying out, the more likely it is you're going to get find some really high-quality players. We're going to take a break real quick, and when we come back, we'll talk a, a little less serious about the game and um, you know, get to know a little bit more about your club and, and your players and yourself especially. But uh, coming up 2014, what's the goal for your team? National championship or bust. Okay, I was hoping you'd say that. Um, not want to put put any pressure on you or anything like that, but you know, I wish you the best of luck in your season, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to following you guys uh, down the road. And uh, we'll be back in uh, just one second. Secret Society. All right, we're back. I got national champion head coach of MSU men's club soccer team, Scott Dane, with me. I feel like I could I could do a twelve hour podcast with you. What's your What's your relationship like with your players? Because for those of you who don't know Scott, you're what twenty nine. Yeah, something like that. Okay, Close. We'll say okay. We'll say you're twenty nine. Um, we'll say you're thirty. How about that? Perfect. Um, how old are you? I'm thirty two. Okay. See, like, come on, Scott. Are you really <laughs> are you really self conscious like that? You you kind of get along with your players. You're in our generation. Uh, to put it in perspective, when I when I um, started to play for you in high school, you were what my age is now. So you got involved uh, at a young age. You identify with the players. You have fun with them. What's the relationship like with the players on the club? We have a very tight knit team, and I I think I'm um, have done a good job of maybe creating a, an environment where the players feel very comfortable. And feel like they can express themselves, and I, I do it in a soccer fashion, right? I want them to be able to go out on the field and feel comfortable to play and play their best and play without fear of ever having um, someone scream at them constantly. I probably yell at you a lot more when you were playing than I certainly yell at these guys. But I think there's a bigger picture too in terms of these are young men who are coming to Michigan State University, uh, an institution that I believe in fully and, and have always been a fan of. But a lot of them are coming into this big university as young 
men and maybe being away from home for an extended period of time for their first time. And I think that socially, our team needs to be extremely welcoming and I need to be extremely welcoming and I need to help them in their transition to the college uh, environment. And we do a lot of team meals. Uh, we do a lot of gatherings where uh, we're going to watch the MSU basketball team or whatever. Not everyone always shows up, but it's, I, I want to make sure everybody feels welcome. And I want that open door kind of um, policy around the team and the guys get along really well. So I think I have a great relationship with all the players. Uh, I'm certainly closer to some than others in terms of um, off the field. Maybe we connect a little better off the field. But I, I'd like to think that on the field, um, the players feel that they can express themselves, whether it's uh, you know they want to talk about their status on the team and they feel that they can freely do that uh, or they can ask to change positions or anything like that. So I, I think it's important to have that very um, – close relationship with the players in order for us to maximize what we're doing on the field. And I can definitely identify with that. We had a an off the field relationship when I was playing under you. You were really you really seemed to be able to handle that line between, you know, seriousness and joking around. I would come to you and joke and, and make jokes. I was I was somewhat of a class clown, you could say. But I, I come to you with serious stuff, too, about the game of soccer, and, and you really knew how to handle that. Talk about the line between being a friend to these players and also being a coach. As a coach, if I'm going to be stern or yell or really demanding of a player, you can't do that unless you've built a relationship with the player. I think it's unfair. Um, just to be the guy that screams at somebody is unfair. Um, but I think I can be demanding of players. I can be very demanding of people that I've built a relationship with. And if you have that relationship, you know that the demands are coming on the field and they're not a personal attack. They're not um, a judgment of who you are as a person. They're an on the field, let's make this team better um, type of um, relationship. And so I think if you haven't built a relationship first, you can't just start by being so strict or such a... Um, um, big bad coach who just screams and yells and tries to assert himself you can be that guy if you have built a relationship with the players and I think that that's I think even when you know with us uh, when I was coaching you the relationship got built before we started really getting into before I ever placed huge demands on you or screamed at you or wanted to do any of that because I knew I think what you could handle and I knew that um, there is a line but if I've crossed it I wanted it always to be Hey Scott, you you know, hey, I want to talk about this, you know, and and if you haven't built a relationship, then you won't have that feedback. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I'd love to talk about myself this whole time, but I don't want to. I really don't want to be that guy. But I think this applies uh, to what you just said. As an example, I came in a freshman in high school playing JV soccer. I think I played like uh, the sweeper, stopper, or something. And I had mentioned in passing, in a joking way, um, as friends, like I want to play forward. I want to you know score a goal, and Eventually, I became uh, a person who played offense, and um, we had that uh, good friendship, and I started to play offense, and then you start yelling at me. If I was ever offsides, what what would you say to me that I was doing if I was offsides? You were... Uh, I was being lazy. Yeah, you were being lazy, or you, would, uh, <laughs> you weren't paying attention, or you weren't focused, and yeah, but you're right. I mean, if we hadn't built that relationship... I, I wouldn't have called you out like that in a game without having, without knowing that after the game 
you would come and make fun of me for being lazy about something maybe, right, you know, yeah. right? So, I mean, I think we had that back then. I'll, just, I'll never forget. Even my buddies that um, I grew up with that played on the team with me, still friends with them today, um, that's one of the things. Even when we play FIFA, uh, when somebody gets called off sides, we'll, we'll do our Scott Dane voice and be like, oh, it's lazy, <laughs> lazy. You have fun with your team. Talk about your team. Like, who is the wild guy of your team? Who is the class clown of the uh, club sports team, if you want to put any of your players on blast? Yeah, I think it, uh, we have a few. I mean, and of course, you know, with 24 guys on the team, you get these great personalities, right? You always get a few. Um, we have a, guy, a Canadian kid. He's from Windsor. He's been our starting left back for three years, Bobby DiPietro. We call him Bub. He's the bub sometimes or whatever you want to. But, you know, he'll show he'll show up in a in a cutoff T-shirt and, like, bub, what are you doing, man? It's not weightlifting class or it's not, you know, and, you know, he's like, what? You know, and he can joke with the best of them. And he, he certainly takes his probably more than fair share of uh, ribbing that we give him. And uh, he'll wear just the Under Armour shirt sometimes. And, like, bub, who are you showing off for? It's all dudes here, you know. And, uh, you know, so we like to give him a lot of um, uh, give him the shtick about, what he wears all the time, you know, and he is a strong, strong kid who gets up and down the field and is a great player, but, and he takes it, you know, he'll just laugh it off or he'll, he'll give a little bit back. But yeah, he's, I, I'd say that he takes a lot of it. So if he, he, you get on him for his fashion sense, who's got the best fashion on the team? If you had to credit somebody with that. Oh gosh, I'll probably get into big trouble here. But, uh, because I think a lot of them take a lot of pride, and 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 they all think that they have the best fashion sense. Um, Andrew Finney, who's our the president of the club and the captain, center back. Uh, I think sometimes we mistake him for a J. Crew model. Um, Michael Kaminsky, who's our right back, um, probably has the greatest shoe collection I've ever seen in my life. Um, so I think they all have their little quirks. Uh, A.K. O'Feely, who uh, who plays up top for us. He's our striker, and um, I think he actually has done a little modeling on Facebook for, for some T-shirts and things. So I think some of the guys have pulled some of those pictures, like, what are you doing, man? You know. And so, yeah, I think they, they probably all think they have the best fashion sense. That's really funny. I look at the activity on uh, your social media, and I see the camaraderie amongst you and your players, and it really – I don't want to say it makes me jealous, but it makes me, you know, look back and be like, that that's great. As far as club sports in contrast to varsity sports, one of the themes of this show is how great are club sports because everybody gets along. It's like a family. Why I love covering club sports is because I don't have to deal with athletic communications to get you to come on the show, to get Ultimate Frisbee to come on the show. It's all student run, and um, they get to they get to you know, lighten up a little bit more than, say, Kevin Cope, who was a star on the varsity team, might not be able to uh, have that type of relationship with, you know, his uh, head coach because they're scholarship athletes. You know, they have all this commitment and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our guys have to pay for everything, right? And they all pay the same amount. And so they're all in the same boat that way. And the varsity guys, you know, there's a guy who's probably on 10% scholarship and a guy who's on 25% scholarship. And Man, if I'm better than him, but I'm getting less money, I might have a bit of resentment. Um, and so I think it is a tough gig, but uh, our guys get along really well. They have some Twitter battles. When we travel, it's like turn your alerts on your phone off because the Twitter's just going to go crazy, and they just hammer each other on Twitter. And we make guys get Twitter, you know. So the guys who come in, will ne- ah, never do Twitter. I have, they have Twitter, right. and they only get active when we're, like, traveling. So it's funny. Yeah, I 
that's one of the things I also do too. <coughs> Is I I stalk the Twitter of the guest and I you know pull up some maybe embarrassing things or questioning things and ask you know I followed you on Twitter since I got it you know you talked about your college experience you weren't um, you know in, in education or in coaching or in you know kinesiology you were a history major in college right yeah a political science maybe too or um, a little but yeah ma- mainly history yeah so um, I just I, there was an interesting thing I saw when I was. Uh, trying to stalk you a little bit. Not that I need to. I know everything about you already. <laughs> Something about education. What do you? Th- what's the deal um, with the United States education? L- to be serious right now, tell me about what you think about. No, I'm kidding. The United States education system, as is. I know that you um, have done some substitute teaching, uh, teaching while coaching in the past when you're uh, at different high schools and stuff. But is fin- Finland has a better. Uh, does Finland have a better education system than the U.S.? You know, I think I posted some article or something that you probably pulled, and I think it's m- more for me it's um, thinking outside of the box and not just doing things because that's the way they've been done. And I think a lot of times in the U.S. education system we do things because that's the way it used to be done, uh, maybe. And I don't know what Finland does with their starting time for school, but I, I think it's um, – we start school, uh, high school or, you know, even middle school at 7.30 in the morning or even earlier sometimes, which means we're putting kids on buses maybe, you know, between 6 and 6.30 in the morning, which means they're getting up at 5.30 in the morning. And that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. I don't see the logic behind um, such an early start to the day and trying to maximize the amount of education we're giving kids. And so, I mean, I guess that'd be one of my criticisms of the u.s education system is that we still start school so early i you know so yeah i guess if we wanted to (laughs) and for those keeping track of the secret society fans out there if you want a jokey fun thing to talk about look at twitter but if you really want to get deep and intellectual you got to go google plus for that stuff (laughs) (laughs) and that's exactly what i did with scott dane i i went to your google plus and you might have a couple posts on there uh from 2011 yeah it's a bit old yeah yeah so i thought i thought that was funny and did you know when you when you start typing scott dane on twitter uh scott dane soccer comes up as a suggestion oh really uh yeah that might that might be uh uh strictly for my computer but i don't think it is yeah um so i thought that was uh interesting there like i said i could talk to you for so long i don't want this to to run as a uh you know, a 90-minute or two-hour podcast. There's so much I could talk to you about. Kick for the house, your charity that you've done uh, for several years. Celebrities, a lot of them former Michigan State Spartans, come in to play soccer for charity. Talk about that a little bit. I um, I played in a charity flag football um, tournament a few years ago and um, with some of the club soccer guys, actually, maybe one of the social events that we did together. And... Um, we won it, and we had no business. You know, a bunch of soccer guys went in this flag football tournament. But uh, Eric Smith, who was with the New York Jets at that time, who graduated from Michigan State, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, um, ended up on our team. And after we won it, um, I'm sitting with him afterwards, and somehow we, you know, he's like, you guys are a bunch of soccer guys or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you ever play? He said, no. I said, want to play? He goes, yeah, I, I wouldn't care. I said, well, let's do a celebrity soccer game. He goes, I'm in. He goes, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And so we, um, I've always been a big fan of the Ronald McDonald House and the services they offer. 
I've never had to use them. I don't have a personal story necessarily about the Ronald McDonald House, but I think that they offer an incredible service and one that I hope I don't have to use, but potentially could have to. And um, so we started Kick for the House, uh, and it's we bring in former, a lot of former Michigan State athletes, uh, both basketball and football, a lot of them. I mean, Eric Smith has played every year. Drew Stanton played this year. Uh, we've had Drew Neitzel out on the soccer field. Um, um, uh, Tim Bogracus, Andre Hudson plays, TJ Duckett. Uh, we get a bunch of former players. We had some of the uh, women's basketball players, uh, Courtney Schiffauer and a few others play this year. And uh, we supplement the game with the club soccer guys and um, raise some money for the Ronald McDonald House in Lansing. And so you've done it a couple years now. Last year was uh, second year running. You're planning on doing it again? Yeah, we have preliminary plans to do it again in June, uh, and we get great community support. We'd love, you know, of course, any charity event that you put on, you'd love to have 10,000 people show up, but we know that that's just, you know, it's a summer event, and we, we make it inexpensive. We have some great support from some sponsors that help us with uh, just our expenses to put the event on, and uh, we get incredible support from the Spartan Athletic community. Yeah, and it's definitely awesome. So look into that. Put a link up on the podcast where you can check out some uh, video from Kick for the House or some of the promos. Really, really awesome stuff. One thing that I also like about that on a more selfish note is all the names that we just picked up off the floor that you dropped. Uh, That's one thing I'm so surprised of of this guy that I, I played soccer for who all of a sudden is just knows all these uh, athletes and is, is really in with the athletic community at Michigan State. So I keep track of you on Twitter, too, and you have all this activity with Tim Bogracus. We'll get to your favorite MSU sports moments. Um, I haven't really mentioned mine on the show, but I have I have handfuls of them in my pockets, right? One of the things that I remember is years back, uh, Michigan State was playing in the NCAA tournament. Or no, not the tournament, regular season against Kentucky, and they won. And Tim Bogracus, who was originally a walk-on role player, defensive specialist you never look for him to get the ball really he got the ball and made a three the one time he gets the ball in a in a real clutch situation and they even went back and said that like he was the sixth option and I was looking because I wanted to pull up that clip and see if I could find that highlight and I did and it turned out to be a kick for the house uh promo right yeah Tim was nice enough to provide his uh his highlight tape uh, from his time at Michigan State. Great story about it is as I'm watching this highlight tape, and of course his shot at Rupp Arena to beat number one Kentucky at that time is on there, but there's a bunch of like clips of him making layups and things, and then there's a clip, and I I rewind it, and I, I text him real quick. I said, Tim, I think there's a clip of, were you on the bench? You weren't even on the court for this. This is your highlight film, right? You weren't even on the court. He goes, he texts me back. He goes, yeah, but did you see how good that high five was? I thought, okay, you know, what a great guy. You know, just hilarious. But, yeah, I mean, uh, we he was nice enough to provide us with that clip, and we, we made a small promo video um, for Kick for the House for that clip. That's great. And I um, I was so happy to, to find that and then think, like, oh, I bet Scott probably put that together. And um, that's, that's really cool um, that you're able to – Stay in touch with these athletes, and it's not just about uh, sports and competition. You know, club sports, it's not always about winning, but in your circumstances, you get to have the fun and you get to win too. So you get to like have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. So back to MSU sports as we get ready to wrap up here. Favorite MSU sports moment? You talk about remembering the AstroTurf field with the Block S uh, Michigan State football. One of the... Uh, 
sort of outliers of this show and that question is the Rose Bowl is always the answer now because it just happened and uh, first time in you know since before I was even alive. And I know you went, so that might be uh, your answer. But tell me about some of your favorite MSU sports moments. I remember, uh, of course, the Rose Bowl is great, right? And it's such so current, and um, that was certainly that will go down as one of my greatest MSU sports moments. But I, I think a few of the other ones include um, uh, Darrell Summers dunking on. Uh, uh, I think it was Stanley Roberts from UConn, right, in the in the Final Four. And I was actually watching the game in the Breslin because they opened up the Breslin Center and put it on the on the video board. And I just remember thinking how amazing it was that Darrell Summers measured him up and just threw down on him so hard. And, I, I you know, that's such an ex, uh, exciting play. I remember Mateen coming out of the locker room in the – you know, 2000 and uh, national championship, and I think I was at home watching the game with, I think, some family and friends, and uh, I just I knew we'd won then. You know, it was like this great like, could you have a better storybook moment than Mateen coming out after being injured um, in that game? Um, Corey Lucius hitting that three in the tournament um, uh, was uh, unbelievable uh, against Maryland. I think it was right. Um, T.J. Duckett catching the ball against Michigan when you know oh, the yeah. clock, the whole clock thing was uh, was awesome and um, uh, yeah, I mean I, I think I have a lot of them. I think it's really cool. I I remember uh, you know Michigan State soccer was Elite Eight this year, but the year before they won the Big Ten tournament in overtime against Michigan and they scored an overtime goal that was just a, a stunner of a goal and um, to be able to watch that. So I mean, and it was on the Big Ten Network I think when I was watching. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of great sport. I mean, you, you could probably do a whole podcast right. just Spartan memories. Yeah, so many to choose from. But I'll go ahead and, and say yours for it because I forgot to bring it up. You know, MSU sports moment. Let's go ahead and and and, and give it to uh, your national championship in 2012. You think that might be it? Yeah, I think that would be it. I I still remember. I'll still look back at those pictures and get that uh, feeling again of what it was like to stand out there and then post game thinking, wait, we really we are cha- we we actually won it like it was great like it didn't sink in and then when it slowly started to sink in it was just what an amazing feeling yeah i remember seeing some of your updates and you know days weeks later you know months i part of me thinks like you're still doing it maybe you're not i don't know but every now and then it's just like i can't believe that we you know my team won the national championship and it's a tremendous accomplishment for you and your players also i wanted to mention that having known you and played for you, I will say that going back to the relationship between player and coach, I played every sport, you know, I, I dabbled in every one, but really the only uh, coaches that I seemed to like really mesh with and gel with on a personal level beside you was my father who coached me in basketball and baseball K through eight. And then I jumped to the next level. And I think you were more than a, a coach to me, sort of like a mentor and, um, very happy for you to have that moment as a as a national champion, especially for Michigan State. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean it was incredible, and what a crowning achievement for some of those guys too. To you know, probably some of them didn't think they'd play college soccer, and here they are on a winning a national championship. So. Yeah, and you're going for another one. You'll win one in 2014. We hope so. Yeah. Um, last thing too, as we wrap up, uh, secret society. I'd like to bring out the secrets of my guests. I know it'll be hard to shock me, maybe. Maybe you can. I don't know. But for the listeners, do you have a secret for us? Secret. Uh, oh, boy. I'm a huge fan of the theater. 
the theater. What's your favorite uh, play? Uh, Rent. And I've seen uh, The Lion King on stage three times. Uh, Wicked would probably be third. Um, the producer is fourth, and uh, I don't know what would be fifth. But, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the theater. I only know the producer, I think, because of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> but um, I did not know that about you. Did your players know that about you? I doubt it. I, 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 I highly doubt it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Scott, uh for the players listening, uh, they want to make Scott happy, get him tickets to, uh, what's the street called over where all the... Broadway. Broadway, yeah. See, I didn't even know that. That's how yeah. tuned out the theater <laughs> I am. But thank you for that, Scott, and I uh, hope to be in touch with you, obviously, and maybe have you back on the show with some of your players uh, later on. Sounds great. Thank you, Brad. Yep. In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in Secret society. You didn't know the theater one, huh? Nope. We'll ride out to the whatever song from 5,020 million dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, get hyped now. Yeah. Give me my powers back.